0: Okay. All right, as we get set up here. All right. litnorsk. Oy for Storelet Norsk. So de the year my store gleda ovara salmon may die i dog. Oy ai ya year die um warmer hillsene fra shirkenvor i Lindstrom, Minnesota. All right. <laughs> and I hope that made sense. <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's, you know, as you learn a new language, you, um, I can read it better than I think it and say it. It just takes a while to get the words to come together, but this is really a joy to be here today uh, with you. Uh, as you know or have heard from Matt, you know, my grandfather, Ulla uh, Stanghelle came from Stanghelle New Bergen, and so we have cousins there, relatives. Uh, in that area, and I have relatives on my mom's side that came from the Hamar area, Yervik, and uh, over there in Vest- Vestaten, uh, in that area as well. So, real, really a joy to be here with you. As Matt read John chapter 5, I'm going to be sharing from that, and I'm going to focus on the last section. I'm going to touch on the first parts, but I'm going to focus on the last section in this message, Who will you listen to? You know, two weeks ago in the United States, we had an observance of what took place on September 11th, 20 years ago. And for everyone who lives in the United States, that was a day of really shock and bewilderment at what was going on. It was the day that the terrorists hijacked four planes, in the United States, and two of those were flowing into the World Trade Tower. One uh, was targeting the Pentagon and hit the wall of the Pentagon, and a fourth plane went down in Pennsylvania when those on board realized what was going on that day and must have somehow broken into the cockpit and brought that plane down. But that plane was very likely headed for either the White House or the Capitol Building. And in America, if you um, were uh, you know, listening to the radio or if you were uh, watching on television that day, you were just appalled by what you saw. I mean, I remember very clearly that morning I had a meeting with pastors, a breakfast meeting. And after that breakfast, I uh, got in my car, I went to the post office, I was turning on the radio, and I heard this warning. And it said that all planes in the United States had been grounded. And I'm, I have never heard such a thing. All planes have been grounded. And, and they didn't have a lot of information because it was so confusing. What, what was happening? What was going on? And so when I got to the church, we set up a small television and we watched. In shock and horror again as the first World Trade Tower collapsed. And then we saw another plane fly into the second tower, and a time later that building would collapse. And we were like, what is happening? What's going on? Well, as you know, and you, you have heard that news here too, um, it, some 3,000 people were killed on that day in those attacks. And so two weeks ago was the 20th anniversary of that, and it was a day to honor and remember those who had died and to remember the firemen and police officers and rescue workers who rushed into those buildings to save as many lives as they could. Now, imagine that you were wanting to remember this day, and somebody came to you and they said, Oh, I don't believe that. I don't think that really happened. That was just maybe a movie or that was just on television. What would you say to them? How would you convince them that those events were real or took place? Well, so much of what we know in history depends upon the word of eyewitnesses, the testimony of those who would say, I saw, I heard, I know, I was there. And that's what we find in the Gospels is the testimony of those who heard and saw these things about the life of Christ that are so significant. And I love John's Gospel because he writes in such a way that he wants us to feel like we were there. We were seeing Jesus perform these great miracles. We are hearing him teach. We are seeing these things for ourselves, because you know, in John's gospel at the end of it, he says that these things I have written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So he wants us to hear these things and think about them deeply. And in John chapter 5, as Matthew read, we have the first part is this dramatic miracle, the healing of a man who has been Paralyzed, unable to walk for 38 years. Can you imagine what that was like for him? Unable to walk. Had to beg for food. He had this belief that was kind of a superstitious belief at the time that an angel came down into this pool at Bethsaida and and stirred the waters. And if you could be the first one into that pool, uh, you would be healed. But every time he tried and he would crawl in his arms and he'd try to get into the water, somebody else would run ahead of him or jump in before him. He had no one to help him. And so when Jesus comes and he sees this man who has been an invalid for 38 years, he asks him, do you want to be well? And, and he's still thinking along this line, but, but I have no one to help me get into the water. He's thinking, maybe that's the way that I'm going to get well. And Jesus tells him, I say to you, take up your mat and walk. And he is healed. His limbs are restored, and for the first time in his life, he's able to walk. Well, he, he is just overjoyed, but the Jewish religious leaders who see him They are angry. This took place on the Sabbath. You shouldn't be carrying a bed around on the Sabbath. You shouldn't be doing this or that. And they were so upset with him. And so, what John then writes in the next section is he takes the words of Jesus, who then begins to talk about his relationship with the Father. And in John's gospel, Jesus will say that I and the Father are one, we are one in essence. We are of the same nature, as we said in the Nicene Creed. He is very God of very God. You know, He is fully divine, but He is also fully man. He understands us. He understands our needs and our world. But He will go on to explain in that middle section that the Father and the Son share the same identity and purpose. He says that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. He claimed that the Son has power to raise the dead and give life just as the Father does. Uh, He claims that the Father has given all judgment to the Son. And one day, every person will stand before the Lord and give an account for their life. The Jews were shocked. To them it was blasphemy for someone who they thought was just a man to claim to be God. And, and you can understand that, you know, that they had never heard someone speak like Jesus. They had never seen someone do these things, but it just didn't fit their category. And so they think, he's a blasphemer. You know, there are those in our world who have wondered about Jesus as well. C.S. Lewis, the British um, uh, philosopher, writer, he uh, wrote in his book, Mere Christianity. He was once an agnostic. And he came to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And he put it in the form of a trilemma of saying that either he is Lord, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. He's crazy. And in that book... When he wrote for the benefit of others who would read it, he said, I'm trying to prevent here anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something else. So Jesus, following this section in the middle where he talks about his relationship with the Father, then in verse 31 and into 32 talks about those who are witnesses to him. And he says to us, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. What he's saying there is that if I'm the only one who bears witness to who I am, well, it's still true because Jesus word is true, but in a Jewish court of law there had to be two or three witnesses. And so you don't just take one person, what they say, and accept it as true. You would, in a court of law, need to have other witnesses. And what we have in the passage we'll look at here are five witnesses to Jesus' identity. Five witnesses that he clearly lays out. The first one is the witness of John the Baptist in verses 33 to 35 this prophet who would be the forerunner of the Lord who was out there in the wilderness and kind of eccentric dressed in camel's hair ate locusts you know lived in the desert but people went out to him because they knew that this was a man of God they they heard him there was something in his call and so Jesus says you have sent to John and he has testified to the truth Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it, that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. And at this time that Jesus is speaking, John was either still in prison, or he may have been killed by Herod. In the other Gospels, it is just before the feeding of the 5,000 that John the Baptist is beheaded while he was in prison. And Jesus grieved for this one who was his cousin. They were related, but he was also this forerunner. And what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? He said, I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. He would say that of Jesus. He would say to those who were his disciples, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew who Jesus was, and he pointed others to him. He's the one that would say that, you know, he must increase and I must decrease. The glory goes to Jesus, not to me. I'm just the voice that's calling people to follow him. And that's what we do as followers of Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And we invite others to become followers of Jesus. He was the first witness. The second witness is the witness of the miracles that Jesus performed. It is a testimony weightier than John, Jesus says. In verse 36, I have a testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish, in which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. So if you want to know if my claims, Jesus is saying, are true, look at the work that I do. And in John chapter 5, you have this amazing miracle of this man who has been an invalid all his life, who is now restored to health. In John's gospel, the miracles that he chose to tell us about, he calls them signs. And when he calls them signs, that means they point to a greater spiritual truth. It's not just the miracle, but it is what they are intended to teach us about Jesus. He will also say at the end of his gospel that there are many other miracles that could have been written down, but these have been written down so that you may believe. So there are seven miracles or signs in John's gospel. You have the turning of water into wine in John chapter 2. You have the healing of the official son in John 4. You have the healing of the paralytic here in chapter 5. You have the feeding of the multitude, the 5,000 in chapter 6. You have Jesus walking on water in chapter 6. Lord of nature, Lord of all creation. You have the healing of the blind man in chapter 9, and you have the raising of Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. When you think about all those miracles, that's just seven out of the many that Jesus did, but when you think about those miracles, who can do those but God? I mean, no one. I mean, we don't have anyone today who could walk into a, Hospital where there are patients sick and dying of COVID, struggling to breathe, and who could walk in and say, be healed, and all of them are well and breathing again. I mean, we long for that. We wish it was so. But only God can do that, not man. And so those were signs that pointed to this truth. And what we see in the miracles that Jesus did, for example, you take the miracle of the healing of the blind man unable to see. We are like that before we come to know Christ. We are blind to spiritual truth and He opens our eyes to see the truth of His Word or to see the glory of Christ and the glory of God. We're like Lazarus who was dead, unable to give himself life, but God speaks and we are brought to life and our spirit is alive. Or we're like this paralyzed man who is unable to walk and helpless and has no one to help him, but Jesus who comes and speaks the word and he is made whole. And each of us who have come to know him have a story of a time when he spoke into our life. And we heard His truth and our eyes were open, and we came to see the glory of Christ and our need for a Savior and we put our trust in Him. That's what these signs are intended to show us. There is a third witness. It is the witness of the Father and we see that in verses 37 and 38. He said, And the Father who sent me has Himself testified concerning me you have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. He again is speaking to these spiritual authorities and people that were so critical of him, and he said, The Father has borne witness to who I am, that I am the Son, but you have never heard it. But others have heard that voice. In fact, In the Gospels, we have recorded those times when the disciples heard the voice of the Father. At Jesus' baptism, when the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, the voice was given from heaven that said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And God has said that in that way about no one else. But he is saying, this one here in the water today who is being baptized, this is my son whom I love. And at his transfiguration, when he went up on the mountain with Peter and James and John and Moses appeared to him and Elijah appeared to him and his glory shone through so that his garments were whiter than any launderer could wash them. And and they saw his glory, and they they were in awe. Peter and the disciples didn't know what to say even hardly. They were just overcome by it. And they heard the voice that said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And again, a third time in John chapter twelve, verse twenty eight, the father spoke. Jesus had said to his father he said father glorify your name and the father spoke and said I have glorified it and I will glorify it again he would glorify it through the son and the people heard it and they thought that it had thundered or that it was an angel that had spoken and there is a voice that speaks to us too and it is not that audible voice but it is the voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts when we hear the Word of God and it brings conviction. Or it it assures us in our heart that these words are true. I mean, it, it's like when I look back and I was telling um, our, our kids and grandchildren, you know, my conversion, when God had prepared my heart when I was 10 years old in our uh, Sunday school class, I was memorizing... The Ten Commandments and I was memorizing the Lord's Prayer and the shorter catechism and the explanation And I'm thinking about all these things and it was that summer that a friend invited me to go to a Bible camp Where a preacher shared the gospel and invited those who wanted to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord to come forward and I went forward and that night I gave my heart to the Lord. And I remember the counselor who opened up the Bible to 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And without even trying, it's, I memorized that verse. I mean, it just stuck in my heart. And I, I was like, that's me. I need forgiveness. I need God's mercy in my life. And the joy that filled my heart, knowing that I had been forgiven, was so wonderful. And the peace that came. And I began to read the Word of God in the New Testament that summer. Well, God does that in each of our lives. He speaks to us by His Holy Spirit. The fourth witness that is given here in verses 39 to 40 is the witness of the Scriptures. And He says... You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They possessed the Old Testament, and especially it was the books of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament that they focused on. We have the benefit of having both the Old and the New Testament. So we have the writings of the apostles and of Paul and the others who wrote the Scripture for our benefit. But they had enough to know that Jesus was the Messiah, God's Son. And so they studied the Scripture, but they missed the main point of it. And you think about that. I mean, how could they do that? How could they miss these things? Like Isaiah 52 that talks about the suffering servant. How could they miss what Moses said in Deuteronomy 18 that God is going to send one like him who would be that prophet who is to come? You know, what they were like would be like uh, a man who reads a love letter from his wife. Say, I'll, I'll use Matt and... Deborah here and say Deborah wrote this love letter to Matthew and said you know I love you and I appreciate these things about you and was very affirming well what would you think if Matt took that letter and he looked at the handwriting he said you know that handwriting's really nice or he looked at the grammar and said she uses good grammar (laughs) or the punctuation is good and totally missed the message I mean, that, that would be foolish to do that. When we read it, what are we reading? We want to know the person's heart. We want to know their thoughts. We want to know what they are saying. And somehow, these religious leaders and scribes, some of them became so precise that they would count every word in the books of the Torah. They would know the middle word. They would know how many letters there were. They would make sure they copied it accurately and all of those kind of things. But their heart missed what was being said about Jesus. They missed the most important thing. And so, Jesus says to them, you diligently study the Scriptures. And Moses is the one we're going to see a little bit later, who spoke about me and yet you missed it. Do you know that in the Old Testament there are 300 references to the Messiah? There are 60 major prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' life. And they tell us things like where he was to be born in Bethlehem. They tell us, you know, like where he's going to grow up. He would be called a Nazarene, he comes from Nazareth that his primary ministry would be in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. They tell us the manner of his death. They tell us about the miracles that he will perform. They tell us about um, the names that he would be given, names like Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, when when you take all of these major things and things that were out of his control, how He's going to die, where He would be buried in a rich man's tomb, yet with thieves, with criminals who would be on each side of Him as He hung on that cross. It's there for those who have eyes to see. But again, it takes the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to see that. And that's why as believers, when we come to the Scripture, and and once you know Christ and you look at those things, it's like it's so obvious. It's there. But it's a work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see. And the last witness that is talked about here is the witness of Moses himself in verses 45 to 47. And Jesus says, Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? The testimony of Moses was especially important to the Jews because Moses was the lawgiver. And they looked at Moses as their deliverer. He's the one who led them out of captivity in Egypt. He's the one who wrote those first five books of the Old Testament. Moses was the one who got them through the wilderness, they thought. Moses was the one who fed them bread in the wilderness. But it wasn't Moses. It was God. It was God who gave them these things. And do you know even more? It was Christ. He was that rock that was there. He was the one who was with them and who guided them. And in Luke's Gospel... There's a parable that fits with this in Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. It's a parable of a rich man and Lazarus who died. Now, this Lazarus is not the one in John's Gospel. This is a different Lazarus. But a rich man and Lazarus both died. And the rich man goes to Hades or hell. The poor man is at Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom. And the rich man asked Abraham to send this man, Lazarus, back to warn his brothers. And Abraham replies, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he replied, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And think about that. What would Jesus do? He would die and rise again. And you'd think that would be enough to convince people that He is Lord and God. But even if someone rises from the dead, they will not believe. It is a work of the Spirit that opens our eyes to see the truth and the glory of Christ. How ironic in what Jesus says here that people will listen to others, but not to Him. Look at verses 41 to 45. He said, I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? Here they were, they would listen to other teachers and follow them. You know, it's like today when someone may listen to their financial planner and do everything that they're going to say or they might listen to their fitness trainer and do everything that they would say. But they don't listen to Jesus. Who loves you more than Jesus? No one. Who cares about you more than Jesus? No one. Who speaks words that you need to hear more than Jesus? No one. It's His Word that gives life. It's His Word that is true. It's His Word that guides us into eternal life. Who is more trustworthy than Jesus? No one. You know, we live in a period in time in which there are so many voices competing for attention. You know, there's news and there's media and there's speakers and there's entertainers and there's musicians and all of these people calling out. Whose voice will you listen to? Whose voice is going to guide your life and direct the way you live? I come back to what the Father said about His Son. The Father has spoken. This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Amen? Amen. 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 Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that You have spoken through Your Son and that You have given witness to Him through all of these different ways, through the miracles he performed, through his teaching, through the witness of the apostles who wrote and the prophets who wrote, through Moses. Oh Lord, we are so grateful that in your mercy you worked in our hearts and have brought us into a relationship with your Son. Help us to be obedient followers of Jesus, to love you with all our heart, to love you with all our mind, and to follow you where you lead us.